I want to thank you guys for being here. Um, We've been going through the marks of a biblical church. So far, we've talked about the marks of a biblical church, some of the marks being expositional preaching. A biblical church is one that does or teaches biblical theology. Biblical church is one that preaches the gospel. Biblical church is one that that understands what a true conversion is and also is displaying true conversions or true conversions are taking place in that church. A biblical church is one that is passionate about evangelism. Also, a biblical church is one that has some form of church membership. And then last week, we also talked about, I think the week before or something, we talked about uh, a biblical church being one that practices church discipline. Tonight, I thought that we would be able to get through two marks, but we're just going to be able to get to one. And we're going to finish them all up next week. The week after next, we are going to be digging into, um, I don't even, my, my brother and I have been talking about it. I don't even know what to call it. Um, but we're just going to call it an overview of holiness, Pentecostal, charismatic, word of faithism. It's a long title. That way you can't forget it. <laughs> um, and I say all of those things because they are all connected. They, they all have a history stringing one to the other. We're going to be talking about a history of the movement. We're going to be talking about one of the, the key aspects of anyone who belongs to that movement, which is speaking in tongues. We're going to be talking about healings. We're also going to be talking about uh, receiving new revelation or prophecy. And I think that we will be talking about um, the prosperity, no gospel. So there will at least be five different aspects to what we're talking about. And then we'll conclude it all. We won't be having Q&A after each lesson. We'll have one service of a Q&A. So we'll have you write down your questions on the back of your envelopes, your giving envelopes, or you can text them to me, or you can email the church or write them on our... No, don't write them on Facebook. It's just going to start a bunch of trouble. Um, text them to me. And, uh, and, and we'll deal with all of those on one night. That way we can hopefully deal with everything at one time. Because uh, if we don't, then we're just going to have an hour of Q&A afterwards. <clears throat> and then what I'd like us to, I'd like to encourage you to do after we're done is just uh, do more study, obviously, on your own. But then I, I think we, we need to just kind of go in a different direction. We're dealing with this because a lot of us come from that background, or at least we know people from or that are in that. And so I'd like to address some of those things. I think we've done it maybe three years ago or something. But we're just really going to dive in and speak about every single one of these things in depth. So I pray that you are here for those those times. Um, and usually you guys show up for the controversial stuff. No, I'm just playing. You guys are always here. So tonight we are going to deal with one of the marks of a biblical church that I think is really overlooked. But it should be emphasized even more so, uh, especially today, in light of the things, of the doctrines and theologies that I just mentioned, holiness, Pentecostalism, so on and so forth. And that is biblical worship. One of the marks of a biblical church is biblical worship. And I say biblical worship because there is non-biblical worship. We're going to talk a little bit about what non-biblical worship is tonight, but we're going to focus our attention on what biblical worship is. So that when you go into a church and you don't see some of the things that we're going to talk about tonight, 
then you'll be your alarms at least will go off as to this seems a little bit different than what is taught in Scripture. Okay, so let's go to Hebrews, and I think you're there. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to work our way to Hebrews chapter 12. But I want you to see something, a pattern that's at least being established by the writer of the book of Hebrews. I'm going to keep saying the writer of the book of Hebrews because we don't know who the writer of the book of Hebrews is. So Hebrews 10:25, And let's start at verse 23, actually. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. How do we do that? Well, we can't do that if we neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, by enc- but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of the book of Hebrews is encouraging the church to not lose hope. The writer of the book of Hebrews is encouraging the church to continue to meet together, to continue the pattern of worshiping together, of serving the Lord together, of pressing in and pressing on with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says so, that we should do so all the more as we see the day. And if you notice, the day is capitalized. If you see, as we see the day drawing near, that day being the coming of the Lord. Now, as we go into chapter 11, the writer of the book of Hebrews begins to point to the heroes of faith who stood as they looked forward to the coming of the promised one. Who is that promised one? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that of all of these heroes of faith, Abraham's and Isaac's and Jacob's and, and Samson and so on and so forth. Verse 35 says some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended Through their faith did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should be made perfect. The writer of the book of Hebrews is saying this. Those who had died prior to the coming of Christ, they died in faith. Listen now that the fulfillment of the promised one would come. They died faith in faith. Trusting that the covenant that God had made would be fulfilled in Christ. So all of these heroes of faith, they stood even though they did not see what you saw or, or now see or know what you know. What they did know was there would be a promised one coming. What they did know was there would be a seed from the woman who would crush sin, death and the grave. But they did not see it. But they died believing it would come. And imagine the Bible says that some of them were flogged. They were mocked. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. All of these different kinds of persecutions. And they had not yet seen Christ. They stand and they testify today. Looking back 
and seeing and knowing now about Christ, they stand and they testify about Christ. He was the one we were looking to. This is before the apostles. This is before the writings of the New Testament. And they looked toward the day that they that they would know and see what you and I now know and see. Their stand, they stood in faith, their writings, their prophecies, their death, their speaking of all something greater. And that something greater is Christ. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, go on now, verse number one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, who are those witnesses? They are the ones of the Old Testament who looked forward to Christ. They are the ones of the New Testament who said, this is the one we've been waiting for. The Bible says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Listen now. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. These witnesses, they point to Christ. He's the founder. He is the perfecter of our faith. It is in Christ that our faith is complete. It is in Christ that our faith is realized. It was from the beginning of the world, the plan of God to have himself in, this, in the, the, the form of Christ come and lay down his life for the church. And there was much joy in this sacrifice. Now, you have to ask yourself this question. What does all of this mean in light of the subject that we're talking about tonight in light of worship? The writer of the Hebrews tells us, verse 12, listen to this, verse 12 of chapter 12. I love this. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight and make straight the path for your feet. So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Now, listen to what he says. He returns back to the analogy, the writer of the book of Hebrews, to the analogy of a runner. Who, when a runner begins to get tired, they start to drop their arms. He returns back to the analogy of a runner who, when they begin to get tired, their knees begin to be wobbly. He goes back to the analogy of a runner who when they begin tired, when they begin to be tired or fatigued, they lose focus and they lose their direction. He's saying to the people of that day and you today, don't quit. Get your second wind. Pick up your arms. Strengthen your legs. Refocus on the direction that you're going in. There were people who came before you who did not see what you saw or know what you know, and yet they died for what you now know. Therefore, strengthen your arms. Lift your hands. Therefore, because you see what they were looking for, you see what they were waiting for. Strengthen your legs. Get your second wind. Refocus. Don't give up. And recognize people gave up their lives to see what you see. And you're going to quit. They didn't even know what you know and didn't even see what you saw. And they went to their death. 
So strengthen yourself. Now the question should be again, what does all of this have to do in light of worship? What does it have to do with worship? The writer of the Hebrews or to the book of or the writer to the Hebrews begins to describe to his audience what the scene of the Old Testament was like when people would come to Mount Sinai. He says in, in chapter 12, verse 18, he says this. You've not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness and gloom and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further words be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Now, listen, this is what the people of the Old Testament experienced when they came to Mount Sinai. Where is Mount Sinai? Mount Sinai is the mountain that the Lord God gave the law. When the people came to the mountain of the law, what did they experience? They experienced a mountain that you could not touch, that you, that you could not touch. They experienced fire. They experienced darkness, gloom, storm, a voice that when it was spoken, no one wanted another word to be spoken. It was terrifying. It was fearful. But the writer says in verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. To the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You've come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous of righteous men made perfect to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better Word than the blood of Abel. The writer of the book of Hebrews gives first the earthly analogy of Mount Sinai. You are not at the place of the law. Instead, you are at the place of grace. You are at Mount Zion. Because God has called you to himself. Who are these that he's called to himself? Those who have faith in him. Those who have trusted and looked forward to the promised one, Christ. You're not coming to Mount Sinai with its restrictions and its regulations and its judgments. Instead, you are coming to Mount Zion with its grace, with its peace, and with its acceptance by God through Christ. Now, at Mount Zion, God is accessible to all who he has drawn to himself. It is called the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. This is the heavenly Jerusalem. And there was an assembly there, meaning there was a gathering for a great festival. This assembly is comprised of believers, you and I, and angels who are gathering to worship the one who is worthy of worship, Christ Jesus. He says in verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom that you are a part of. Listen. And thus, while you're here, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Do not lose point, the point of all of this. Here's the point. Many are starting to walk away. They are forsaking the assembling of the body. They are getting weary. They're getting tired. 
They're falling out of the race. But long before them, there were those who are now today a great cloud of witnesses who stood in faith to see what we see. Who walked in faith to experience what you experience. They gave up their lives. They died in faith, holding on to God and his promises. Knowing that God would send the seed born of a woman that would eventually crush the serpent's head. That person was Christ. He came, lived, died, and rose from the dead. He's the founder of our faith. Because there is no one else to put our faith in. He has perfected our faith. How? Through his life and through his death and ultimately through his resurrection. It is perfect. So don't give up like others are giving up. Keep your eyes on Christ and keep running. You are not like those under the law. No, you are allowed to approach God who has called you to Mount Zion. Because of this, you are under grace and you can now come to God and you can join in faith and in joy and in worship this great assembly that will be gathered in heaven at the great festival to worship Christ. But don't forget, his kingdom has come. We are not waiting for the kingdom. His kingdom has come. His kingdom is here. Therefore, while you are in the kingdom, celebrate the kingdom. Celebrate, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is not coming. He said the kingdom of God is. So since the kingdom has come, rejoice because you're a part of the kingdom. You are a part of that great festival. The God of Mount Sinai, though, is also the God of Mount Zion. And he is a consuming fire. The punishment for rejecting salvation is great. And it is it may even be greater than the punishment for disobeying the law. So the question is, as we worship, what is acceptable? Worship to God. Don't you want to know? Or do you think running around and and just dancing and throwing yourself on the floor and, and saying that you're speaking another tongue is acceptable worship before God? Seems to me like a a show for the funny papers. Is your worship acceptable to God? Right now. Does your singing matter to God? Is he accepting what you are presenting today? And here's the other question. And do you even care? Tony, can you turn the air on a little bit, please, brother? I just felt a big heat come over me right now. That wasn't Holy Spirit. That just hot. <laughs> can you bring any kind of worship to God? Can you bring any kind of heart before God and stand before him and think it will be accepted by him? Is half-hearted worship Acceptable to God. So tonight we're going to talk about what is biblical worship? What is the kind of worship that is acceptable before God? Number one, if you're taking notes, biblical worship is God centered. Worship centers around God. The Bible says in Psalm 29, one, ascribe to the Lord, almighty one, ascribe to the Lord, glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord, the glory due his name. 
worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Let me just say real quick. If those words, as they are spoken, and that goes for people who are in the youth to people who are the oldest here, whatever the, the age variant may be here. If those words ascribe to the Lord, almighty one, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord glory that is due his name, worship the Lord in splendor and in holiness. If those words do not cause you to say yes. I must worship the Lord because he is worthy of worship. Then I will say to you, your hearts must be quickened by his spirit. There there needs to be something that happens or needs to be something that you ask God for. If you can hear words like Psalm 147, 1, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting it is to praise him. And you cannot say yes. It is good. Yes, it is fitting. Yes, he is worthy. Then ask yourself, is God at the center of your worship? Or am I at the center of my worship? Because if we can hear the word of God, spirit inspired, say worship him. And we say, "Ah, but I don't really want to. That's not my favorite song. You got something more catchy. I'm tired. Then who's coming before the command to worship? You are. If kids can sit here and fall asleep, slap them. Wake up. This is not a game. Because our God is a consuming fire. And the sooner you get that, the sooner you will have a better understanding of what it really means to worship God. It is fitting. It makes sense for us to gather, to sing songs of praise to God. Why does it make sense? Why is it fitting? Because He's God. Because He's worthy. Because you're not dead anymore. Maybe you are, but you're not dead anymore. All throughout history, time and time again, God is setting up history for what? To give glory to himself. The Bible says in Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted among the earth. So whether you do it now or later, it will be done. Isaiah 43.7 says, I have created my people for what? For my glory. I think you should hear that again. I've created my people for my glory. The Bible says in Romans eleven thirty six, for from him and through him and to him are all things and to him be glory forever. Amen. Where is history leading us? Philippians 2 tells us history is leading us to the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. God is passionate about what? About his glory. God is passionate about his glory. God, I've said this before, is God-centered. He lives to exalt himself. Amen. Amen. Well, if he doesn't live to exalt himself, then who else should he exalt? If he exalts anybody above himself, then he ceases to be God. Amen. So if he exalts you, then you have now become God. He doesn't exalt you, he exalts himself. 
If our hearts truly burn for God, then our understanding of worship before God would be completely different. We wouldn't need the right note. We wouldn't need the right chord. We wouldn't need the right voice. The only thing that would be important is that God is being worshipped. One of the amazing truths about God is this, that he exalts himself by saving sinners. That just went over your head again. God exalts himself by saving you. Because through your salvation, he gets much praise. He sends his son on our behalf. And he saves us who could not save ourselves. Therefore, we worship not out of duty. We worship out of delight. Because we delight in our God. So when you think about what is biblical worship, it is number one, God-centered. Number two, biblical worship is word-centered. Turn with me to the book of Psalm 119, please. I challenge you to read this psalm all the way through when you get home tonight. When we gather, we want to strive to place the word of God at the center of all that we do. Because God is the center. God has revealed himself in his word. Therefore, everything that we say, everything that we do, if it is not grounded in the word of God, then it's meaningless. It is merely the opinions and thoughts of man and not the thoughts of God. And let me say to you, brothers and sisters, before you read through the Psalm 119, anytime you go to a church... And the word of God is not the center of all that they do because God is the center. His word is the center. And all you're hearing is opinions and thoughts and random ideas and guys walking around the stage just coming up with stuff off the top of their head. Unless they're artists, bro. Run from that church. We do not have anything to say unless it is from his word. Is that not why you gather? To glorify God and to hear his word? Of course. Verse 1. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, which would be the word. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, his word, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways, his word. You have commanded your word to be kept diligently. On that, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes, your word. Then I shall be not, then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on your commandments, your word. I will praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules, your word, I will keep your word, your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his ways pure by guarding it to your word? With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments, your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes, your word. With my lips, I declare all the rules of my mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight. As much as in all riches, I meditate on your precepts, your word, and fix my eyes on your ways, your word. I will delight in your statutes, your word. I will not forget your word. All throughout. The longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. So we would be fools if we came to this church and did not center on God and his word. Amen? Amen. And that is one of the problems of the modern church today. 
They are running from God's word and running to man-made philosophies and man-made ideologies that have no power. But people are, are smitten by one great one-liners. Ooh, that's a good one-liner. Let me write that one down. And he made it rhyme. <laughs> While you have the complete word of God to stand in awe of. No. We center on God's word. We respond in prayer, preaching, all of that. It's driven by his word. The word drives our worship. Number three, biblical worship is gospel filled. At the center of the word of God is Christ and the gospel. Jesus Christ was anticipated in the Old Testament, promised in the Old Testament, revealed in the New Testament gospels, and then anticipated in the New Testament and today. This is what it's all about. Our gracious God looks upon hopelessly sinful man, sends his son into the universe to save those who belong to him. The gospel is at the center of this book. The gospel is at the center of this church. The gospel is at the center of all that we do. The word drives us. And this story of the gospel should fill our worship. Every sermon, every song, every outreach. It should all be filled with the gospel. To the unregenerate person, we know that the gospel is going to go straight to them. And we're going to speak to them about being dead sinners who can only be brought to life by the grace of God and repentance and faith. And to the regenerate person, we give this message over and over and over and over and over again. You should never get tired of hearing the gospel. Can we move on to something else? Move on to what? What else is there? Talk about what? What else matters? Nothing else matters. All of history is pointing to that day. All of history points back to that day. It's about him. We sing about his grace. We sing about this truth. We remind ourselves that, that God's pleasure is not based on our performance before him. God's pleasure is based on Christ's performance in us. What Christ has already accomplished. This is reminded for us in baptism, which we're going to do in a few weeks. It's reminded for us in the Lord's Supper, which we take every single week. We are reminded of the gospel. We worship him in remembrance of all of these great truths. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full of assurance of faith. Does that reflect your worship when you come? Drawing near to God with a sincere heart, full of faith, knowing that your God has saved you. Number four, biblical worship is honest. Honest about what? Honest about a few things. Number one, you're honest about our suffering, your suffering. When we read the the Psalms, we see... That the psalmists are always very honest about the things that they are experiencing. And when we come to worship, we don't have to pretend like we're jumping from one happy cloud to the next. We can be honest about our suffering. The beautiful thing about worship is we can bring our suffering to Christ. The beautiful thing about worship is we can be trusting in faith that our God is strong enough. To hear about our suffering, to handle our suffering, to encourage us by the Holy Spirit through our suffering. When we suffer, we are called to worship in ways that reflect that reality. Lord, I am suffering. That is the language of faith. It's not pretend worship. It's being honest with worship. Jesus promises us that we are going to have trouble in this world. And here's something I want to encourage you about. 
as we gather week after week, and even tonight, I want you to know that there are some people that come tonight, and maybe throughout the week, that man, they barely made it. And not because they got off of work late, and not because the kids weren't getting ready in time. They barely made it because they're going through it. There's suffering in their own life. There's trouble in their own life. Maybe they're being persecuted. Maybe they're just being attacked by the enemy. And it's a struggle just to get here. It's, it's walking in faith just to get into the car, turn the key and say, okay, I'm going to go. I know I'm going through this. I know I'm suffering. I know I'm hurting right now. But I'm going to go in faith knowing that that's what would please God. That's where I should be. Staying home is not going to, call, not going to solve anything. When you come here and you see some people smile at you and say, yeah, I'm doing good. Know that sometimes behind that smile, there's I'm, I'm hurting. I'm in pain. I'm suffering. And we should be here to meet them and encourage them in that moment and say, you know what? Would you like to talk? Well, do you want to pray? We can go outside. We're also honest about our sin. We have to acknowledge that we've sinned against God in every single way. And we're honest about that truth. The Bible says in, in Psalm 32, 5, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave. I will. I did forget. I did confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. There's an understanding that we fall short of God's glory every single day, that we fall short, we sin. And listen, we acknowledge that. When we come before the Lord in worship, we acknowledge, God, I've sinned. God, I've failed you. God, I've fallen short. But here's what we don't want to do. We don't want to be fixated on our sin. Because sometimes we can come and know that we failed and just focus on the fact that we're such a failure. You are a failure. Every single one of us are failures. That's why we needed Christ. If you weren't a failure, you wouldn't need Christ. So acknowledge your failures. But don't stay there because you staying in your failure is saying you do not have a savior. If you stay in the failure and say, I'm just bad, I'm just bad. Yes, you are. The Bible says that about you. Read the Bible sometimes. It's all over there. You suck. Okay, get over it. But someone has come and conquered your failures. Christ has come and he's conquered your sin. He's conquered your death. He's conquered your shortcomings. He's conquered all of your addictions. Christ has conquered those things. So when you fail, trust in the one who conquered your failures. Bring it to him. He doesn't, he doesn't conquer you conquer once and that's it. Yes, he did. Don't get me wrong. It's once and for all. But you need him every single day. You need grace. Every day you need mercy. Every day you need to bring your sin before him. You are saved. But it doesn't mean you still are not repenting. You have repented and you still must repent every day. This is a continuous thing. You are daily taking up your cross. Not one time. Every day. Amen? Amen. Do you live? You worked out last week. Good. I'm done for the rest of my life. Arnold said yes. No. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's an everyday taking up your cross, denying yourself. And that is through the Holy Spirit empowering you to do so. Sin does not have the final word. 
God has the final word. So we're honest about our suffering. We're honest about our sin. But we're also honest about the salvation that God has given us. So, yes, bring those things. And then when you're done, rejoice. Know that you have been saved. God has given us his righteousness in Christ. He has imputed to us what we did not have. He's given us into our bank accounts. Righteousness when we were empty and full of unrighteousness. So don't sit there and be fixated over your sin. Lament over it. Repent over it. But then stand up. And praise God that you've been forgiven and set free. Therefore, Hebrews 10, 22, then draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having your heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilt conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water. You've been made right with God. And regeneration is so powerful. No longer are you in Adam. You're in Christ. So rejoice about that. Next, biblical worship is vertical and it's horizontal. The Bible says, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21, or 19 to 21, it, it continually says, let us, we, our, these are plural words. They're not individual words. And the modern church today has become so individualistic that when they come to church, it's about what you can get for yourself. It's about my personal relationship with Christ. I don't really care about the rest of you guys. It's just about what I'm doing. That's why some people, as soon as they come in, they leave right away. I don't care about the rest of you guys. I'm going to get my fix and I'm gone. You don't do that. The Wednesday people, you guys are elect, bro. I'm telling you. The Wednesday, Sunday people, I don't know about them. But the Wednesday people, you can't get them to go home. You guys come on Sunday. <clears throat> we are to come in and be aware of one another. Not ignore one another. But be aware of one another. And let me just say this for those of you who, who, who need to know this. There are other people in here besides just me and John and even Isaiah and others who know scripture, who can take time with you. If you are one person hoping to get to one person and there's maybe 50 here, you're going to be disappointed. I couldn't get to the pastor today. Well, there's about, other, there's about 50 other people here. There's other people you can talk to. Let me encourage you with that. Some people will leave the church because, hey, he didn't talk to me today. I'm sorry. I'm doing the best that I can. But if you're looking for any of us, let me just tell you, we're here throughout the week. We're here. We've got phone numbers you can use. We'll meet up with you. But your salvation is not dependent on one person. Other than Christ. So you can't expect me, John, or anybody else to be a pseudo savior for you. Christ is your savior. He's the one you depend on. He's the one who's given you his whole word here. Do you need something deeper than what he can give you? No. But we are here for a reason. We have been made the church for a reason. So while we are here, let's encourage each other. But at the same time, not put our whole life dependence on each other. We put our life dependence on Christ. And we thank God that he's given us brothers and sisters that we can walk this race or run this race with. 
The Bible says in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. This is vertical and it's horizontal. We are worshiping God and we are also aware of each other. We don't come just to serve ourselves. We don't come to ignore people. We come and we worship together. We worship together. When, when my wife and I lead worship, we're not leading to you. We're leading with you. We're all singing together. And let me just encourage you. I need to hear you sing. I love sitting in the front here and I can hear all of you guys sing. That's amazing. Let me just encourage you. Don't wait for the music to be really loud so that you can be singing loud. When the music goes loud, then you go loud. When the music goes lower, then you kind of bring lower because people can hear your voice. It's okay. No one is saying, ooh, that was a kind of sharp C you just hit. <laughs> yeah. No voice tryouts for you. No. Let's sing. Who cares? We're singing to God. We're not singing to say, oh, I hope Mark really likes my voice today. No one. Mark doesn't care. He's not going to go home and tell his wife, man. Philip's voice sucked today. That's not what's going to happen. Right, Mark? No. <laughs> or even to me, man, Tony was off today. God, Lee, you need to drink some tea before he starts. Number six, biblical worship is authentically expressive. This is important now. Our affections for God <clears throat> drive our actions in worship. Now, listen to the closely. Knowing and having a knowledge of God should affect or fuel your affections for God. Listen, knowing God and having a knowledge of God should fuel your affections for God. Now, listen very closely. When we realize that this is about God and we're not moved, then something's wrong. It's not about a particular song. It's not about a certain kind of lighting. When we know him and we have a knowledge of him then we are moved to worship him in biblical ways that don't center or focus on us, but center and focus on him. Meaning this, that as we are worshiping, if worship is going forth and you see people running around in aisles, you see people blowing, uh, uh, what are they called? Uh, yeah, those things. Blowing whistles. Dancing uh, like Michael Jackson in the aisles. Who is the attention being drawn to? To them. I said recently my brother had shown me a video on YouTube of a guy who was dancing in the aisle. But before he showed me that video, he asked me, do you believe in dancing in church? I said, well, it depends on what kind of dancing. This guy was literally doing the Michael Jackson, you know, the mashed potato. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm old. But he was doing all the funky stuff in the middle of the aisle. People were, were clapping but their focus was on him. Not only that, but someone went to the extent of videotaping him while service was going on. So you ask, you ask me, is it okay to, to, to dance and sing or to dance during worship? Of course it is. As long as the attention is not on you. <clears throat> well, I didn't mean for it to be on me. Dude, you're, you're doing the two-step. You're spinning around. You're doing all, you almost did a moonwalk. And you don't expect the attention to be on you. What do you think it's going to be on? People are drawn to entertainment. So we're not talking about, about emotionalism. We're talking about affections. 
We're talking about passions that, that, are, that are spontaneous. You didn't come in and plan that. It was just God. I surrender before you. Here's my sin. God, thank you for my salvation. I've seen people on their knees before. It's not my job to question whether or not that's authentic. It's between them and God. But what I do want and pray for is that if someone falls on their knee, they didn't come saying, I'm going to fall on my I'm going to sit in the front. I'm going to fall on my knee so everyone sees how spiritual I am. Now that's planned, and you've just taken glory away from God. Or you could be sitting in the back where Ralph is. No one even sees you. And you just turn around in your chair, and you're just having a moment with God because the word that is spoken through the worship is just hitting your heart, and God is moving in you in a certain way. That's okay for you to do. I'm not going to reject that. The Bible says in Psalm 47, 1, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. How awesome is the Lord God most high. Your God longs, loves for this kind of worship. Now, here's what you have to evaluate in your own heart. You have to evaluate, am I doing this for man? And am I worried about man? There's two extremes there. Um, Dylan Keith has experience being in a reformed church and has also experienced being in a charismatic church. As many of you guys have. And he'll tell you from experience, the Reformed Church, you don't do this. Because now you're being emotional. But is it being emotional if it's authentic and it's real? Is it being emotional if I really just thank God? No, it's not. But what is not right is not doing this because you're afraid of what the other Reformed folks might think. Now you've got a conundrum. So when I go to the conference, I don't care what they say. I'm here. They can say whatever they want, but I didn't come to worship for them. Now, when you come, you have to ask yourself, is this so that people can see me or is this because I love my God? I can't judge that. You only can. Here's what we won't allow in the church. What used to happen by two crazy folks who used to sit over here. They would scream their lungs out. And we would all look over there because we thought somebody was getting killed. You remember that, Elliot? Just out of control to where you almost have to stop everything and tell them, listen, we can't even hear the worship because you are out of control. What's one of the fruits of the spirit? Self-control. Right? So I encourage you. To be authentic, to be honest. If this is how you're going to express your God, as long as it's not taking away from God, then do it. Then do it. But what makes more sense to stand there? Now, I understand there are some people that are very reserved. And I'm not saying you have to do this. But I am saying if you stand there unmoved like this and you just stare. I don't think... You are worshiping God the way that he is worthy of being worshipped. So to stand there unmoved or to stand there with at least hands uplifted or heart uplifted and surrender before God. Depends on who you belong to, right? And then last but not least, which will lead us into next week and will be done. Biblical worship leads us to mission. Biblical worship 
If you really want to worship God, it inevitably, inevitably will lead you to be missional. Worship is the fuel for mission. Worship is the fuel for taking the gospel where it has not been heard. Worship is the fuel. Why do I talk about, last, that's what I did last week, making disciples? Why do I talk about all of the stuff that we're talking about? Because Buddha is not worthy of worship. Because Allah is not worthy of worship. Because Hindu, Muhammad, Sikhism, they are not worthy of worship. God alone, Christ alone is worthy of worship. So because we believe this, because we are passionate about this, because Jesus Christ is worthy of glory among all the nations, we take this gospel to the nations. If we're serious about worship, if we're serious about glorifying God, we can't keep it here. If we're serious about lifting up the name of God, then we can't keep it here. We've got to spread this gospel. You won't be able to be contained. It can't be contained. So... People who love the glory of God more than life itself will give their lives to making his glory known to the ends of the earth. And I pray that's what you're all about when you come for worship. That's biblical worship, man. If you see something other than that, then I would really challenge it by God's word. Amen? Someone asked, or someone was telling me today, one of our sisters, Doreen, she was telling me that, that she's been challenged by, by some family members concerning some of the things that she believes and the stance that she makes. And their response is, well, you shouldn't be judging. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you should be judging. In light of what? If it's not biblical, I'm going to judge it. If it's not in here, then I have every right to judge it. Because you're calling it what it isn't. Something that is, what it isn't. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for this time. I pray that your people received, heard, and were encouraged, challenged by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is it hot in here? Why am I so hot? I'm on fire. That's the last thing this is going to say on this thing.